0: The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast generic presented by our Patreon. Score exclusive perks, content, and contests, including our NFL win totals contest with a $1,000 prize. Join today at sportsgampodcast.com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Parlay Play. Parlay Play is a lead pipe locking for parlaying player props. Go to parlayplay.io and use the promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus today. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast Scenario. It is currently early Saturday morning, August 12th. And I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun episode, but a short one, only two matches on the card because it is semifinal time in Toronto. So we're going to preview the Fakina and Dimon match, followed by the Paul and Sinner match. But... To that, got to recap what happened in the quarters and starting off with the lock and dog picks. Overall, decent episode, not great. I know we've been on a bit of a heater with the lock and dog picks. On the bright side, we did extend our lock streak, so we did win the lock, but the dog did not get there. Starting with the lock, had a nice easy win, had Tommy Paul plus four and a half at minus 110. And for the dog, we had Fakina and McDonald over two and a half sets in the early match at plus 135, and that lost. I'll mention both actual matches in greater detail during the recap portion of the matches individually, but for the sake of the lock and dog picks, ended up winning the lock, but could not sweep, so hopefully we'll end up sweeping here on Saturday. But now time to actually get into the recaps of the individual matches. So looking at the first match on the card on Friday, that was the match we, locked, we lost the dog in, and it actually looked decent early. McDonald was up four to three with a break point. So it looked like he was potentially going to steal the first set. And then he completely fell apart. McDonald went from being up four three to losing six, four, six, two, which means if you're doing the math at home, Fakina won nine of the last 11 games in the match. And the truth is Fakina I thought it looked fine. He didn't look incredible by any means, but McDonald just could not stop hitting unforced errors, especially from the backhand side, and he could not land a first serve. McDonald's first serve percentage in the second set was 56%, and as a result, you saw Fakina really just bury him in the second set. He broke him three times, and I know McDonald did double fault on a break point in one of those, but McDonald was looking decent early, and then either the nerves got the better of him, or just his backhand betrayed him. Either way, Fakina kept the ball in play, and McDonald couldn't. He also tried to approach the net more, which I thought was a bit random, and it didn't work out. So Fakina ended up winning in straight sets. Picked up a loss there with the dog picks. Moving on to the next match, we saw Dimenauer win in straight sets against Medvedev. Dimenauer has been the comeback kid, and he ended up coming back in the first set. He was down a couple of breaks in the first set for the second straight match and came back to win it as he ended up trailing Medvedev five to two in the first set and then ended up breaking back. Now, in this case, it was only one break, so it wasn't an insane, insane comeback like the Fritz match. But still, the point is he was down a break and he was able to come back. So nice job by him to really not give up. It's been the story of Dimenauer's run where he's just been able to push through some adversity where players would maybe punt to the final game of the set, try to regroup. Dimenauer doesn't believe in that theory. And as a result, he's fully committed to winning every point in every set and it's paid off for both against Fritz and Medvedev. And you saw that as he came back from two five down to win the first set 9-7 uh, in the breaker, 7-6 in the tiebreaker. But he also ended up fighting off two, uh, three separate set points in the tiebreaker. So hell of a comeback by him. And Medvedev choked it away with a couple double faults. Then the second set came around. And Medvedev was once again up a break in two separate occasions in the second set. Choked them both away. And Dimonauer eventually won 7-5 on a double fault on match point by Medvedev. To go through the actual stats though for that match, Medvedev double faulted seven times. A couple of big double faults as well, and Diminauer did not fault, double fault a single time. Now, Diminauer ended up winning a decent amount of his first serve points. Won 69% of his first serve points. Medvedev only won 56% of them, and that was the story of the match. But I did mention in the Last episode, my favorite prop play was Dimenauer over one and a half breaks at minus 150, and he ended up breaking Medvedev four times. Now, I was wrong about the outcome. I got the scoreline basically right, but I picked the wrong guy. I thought Medvedev would win probably in a competitive two sets. I leaned to the over, and Medvedev ended up winning uh, in, in my head. Like 7676 or 7664. Instead, Dimenauer won 7675. So the over got there, but the other guy won. So not the greatest call by me. But the match kind of played out how I thought it would. Unfortunately, Medvedev could not hold when he was up multiple breaks. And that was the story of the match. But other than that, though, Time to get into the biggest underdog win of the day, and that was Tommy Paul cashing our lock by cashing the four and a half games, and then some as he won the match in three sets. Second straight year in Canada, he's been able to upset Alcaraz and eliminate him from the tournament, and now Paul's in the semifinals. So looking at that match, simply put, Alcaraz was really just not playing great tennis the entire tournament. I mentioned how Shelton really did not look good for the entire year after the Australian Open, and yet Alcaraz had some trouble with him in the first round. Then he faced off against her catch, and he did not look great in that match either, and that was a bit concerning. And then you saw Tommy Paul, who beat him last year, do the same thing. It was basically the exact same script that we saw last year, where Paul ended up looking like the more consistent player. Alcaraz couldn't keep the ball in play. Unforced errors were an issue, and Paul, in general, played very, very well. To go through the numbers here, the real story was Paul's return game. He ended up breaking Alcaraz four times. He was able to really put the pressure on early and often, and Alcaraz did not respond well. He threw his racket at one point. He seemed very animated, which is something we're not fully accustomed to. On the negative side, we've seen Alcaraz get pumped up and do a fist bump or two uh, to his crowd. But in this case, he was angry at himself for not playing well. And it seems like the slow speeds of the hard courts in Canada were really giving him fits the entire tournament. But unlike the first two rounds, he was not able to overcome it as Paul was able to beat him. I mentioned once again that I thought this one was insane because Paul had just beaten him. They faced off in... A- he beat him a year ago in the same country, in Canada. He, he lost 6-4, 6-4, against Alcaraz in Miami with faster hard courts. The point is, Paul's game just gives Alcaraz some problems, and I thought, once again, 4.5 was an insane line because of it. I believe they closed at 4, so the line did move down by half of a game, and it didn't matter in the end because Paul won. But the real story for me, once again, was just Paul being so consistent and really playing one of the best matches he's ever played. And I want to at least mention something or re-address something that I mentioned, a potential storyline going into that Alcaraz match. I talked about motivation and how people might be persuaded to take Alcaraz because Paul beat him last year, and now he'd have extra motivation to beat him. I'm going to say something once, and I'm just going to try to get this on the record. Motivation does not really exist in tennis. You can argue and it exists in other sports, and I'll tell you why. In baseball, in football, and in basketball, and maybe even hockey, the reason why motivation can be a factor is because of the fact that there are regular season games that are not must-win. What makes tennis so special for me is the fact that every match is important Because every match is in a tournament format, so you have to win in order to play another match. And once again, with that being the case, I don't think Alcaraz went into the match saying Tommy Paul beat me last year. Now I have to beat him. No, his argument is I got to win because I got to make it into the semifinal of a Masters 1000. And Tommy Paul wasn't going to go into the match saying I'm scared of Alcaraz being number one because I've beaten Alcaraz before. But the notion that Alcaraz was going to be extra motivated for a Masters 1000 quarterfinal matchup because it was against an opponent that that uh, ended up beating him last year is an insane stretch. Let's put it that way. Motivation, as far as I'm concerned, does not really exist when it comes to tennis. I think that fatigue is the bigger indicator here. And Alcaraz was off of a three-set marathon against Herkatch. Paul is off of a straight-set win against Giron, And he looked like the fresher guy throughout these three sets. It was a long match took two hours and 20 minutes, and Paul had more energy in the tank, and he was more consistent, and he ended up cashing as a plus 400 underdog. But once again, in a tournament style of play that tennis has every single week, I don't believe in motivation. If you show up to an event and you're not Pear or Bublik or some of these other head cases, you play to win the match, and both guys showed up, and Paul's the better player. So overall, that was an upset that shocked some people. I thought Alcaraz would win. But we cashed, the dog because, we cashed the lock because of it, so I was not totally shocked that the match unfolded similarly to the way that it unfolded a year ago. But then you had the last match, which played out the way that I thought it would. You had Sinner against Monfie, and I thought that Sinner would win a competitive match. Match went over, I thought it would, and Sinner ended up getting the job done in three. Props to Monfies, though. Shout out to him for a very good quarterfinals run. He didn't play badly in the match against Sinner. Sinner just played better and Monfils' serve kind of let him down because Sinner was able to constantly get involved into Monfils' service games, but it was a good match and a couple of really impressive shots by both players throughout, but Sinner was able to get the job done, and now Sinner is the hefty favorite to win the title at around minus 110. But anyway, time to get into the actual matches for the Saturday card. Starting off with the early match, you have Fakina. Once again in the early spot, taking on Dimon Hour. Now, this will be starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. So once again, you're gaining about two hours of extra time to get your bets in. So I don't feel that guilty recording it so late uh, this podcast. But anyway, to go through the betting odds here, Dimon Hour is the favorite at around minus 143. You have Fakina at plus 143. As for the spread, Dimon Hour is minus two at minus 110. Fakina is plus two at minus 110. The over-under, you can find a couple of lines. 22 and a half is the regular number, minus 104 to the over, minus 116 to the under. You can get 21 and a half at minus 135 to the over, plus 105 to the under, and you can also get 23 and a half. The over is a plus 110, the under is minus 140, and if you want the match to go to three sets, you can get that at plus 125. Now, look at the actual head-to-head. It's going to be a bit tricky because they faced off three times in their careers each time on a different surface, they faced off on hard court in the next-gen ATP finals in 2019. Dimenauer won that one in four, but that was first-to-four sets, not first-to-five. Sorry, that was first-to-five sets but each set was out of four games as opposed to six. So a different format there. Not sure if you can use it. They face off in Monte Carlo on clay. Fikina won that one in 2021 in straight sets, 6-4, 7-6. And they faced off on grass in 2022. Fikina won 4-6, 6-4, 7-5. So for starters, based on yesterday's matches, I do think that you can make the argument Fikina should be the more rested player based on how difficult hours match was, despite it going three sets against Medvedev while Fakina coasted. Having said that, diminauer has got a great gas tank. I think he'll be fine. So I don't think that is going to be a serious angle in this matchup. I thought it would matter more in the Medvedev matchup because he played a long match against Fritz, but it didn't. hour just is the energizer bunny on tour, and he's constantly in motion, and that's what makes him so fun to watch. It's the fact that he never lets a ball go he never lets a ball land, basically. He's always willing to chase after everything. He never gives up on points, and that makes him so dangerous, especially with a guy like Fikino who can hit a lot of unforced errors. Now, for the sake of this matchup, even though they faced off in three, on three separate surfaces, I do love the over in this match. I'm going to take 21.5 and minus 135. I think it's a very solid one, and you're looking at, once again, the head-to-head. The hard court match did go to four sets, so they did end up splitting, the first two sets in that match. I know it was once again, first to four in each set, but still the point is it was competitive early on in clay on the clay match in or in the clay match on Monte Carlo clay. You saw Fikino wins six, four, seven, six that went over that landed 23 and on grass. It went three sets with a couple of marathon sets in there. So eat all three of these matches have either gone over or gone to three sets when it didn't need to per se. So the point is, I think you're going to end up seeing a couple ways to get there, either a similar scoreline to what we saw in the Dimonour match against Medvedev, or maybe you get a tiebreaker and another long set, or it goes three, you have a full on war and they get there with alternating six, three sets, for example. But I do think 21 and a half is a bit too low. I do understand why Dimonour is favored. I think Vakina can give Dimonour a serious run for his money if I had to pick based on the current betting line, I'd probably lean to Fakina. I'm not going to pick the betting line, though. I think that if I had to pick a winner, I probably would lean to Dimon Hour. But the minus 143 is a pretty steep price. I think it should be closer to minus 120. I see a pretty competitive war, but I think Dimon is going to win. But I do think the over is my favorite play here at 21 and a half at minus 135. Moving on to the second match here. You have a matchup between Sinner and Paul, and is a pretty big favorite here at minus 264. You have Paul at plus 219. As for the spread, Sinner minus 3.5 is minus 108. Paul plus 3.5 is minus 112. Over-under's at 22. The over's minus, one thir- uh, minus 115. The under is minus 105. Alt-line's over 21 is minus 150. Under-21's plus 120. And if you want to get the uh, other set of games, you can get 23. Over's plus 115. Unders minus one forty five. Match to go to three sets is plus one fifty. Now, center to win in straight sets, by the way, for this match is currently set at plus one hundred five. Paul to win a set is minus one thirty five. Now, in the head to head, they faced off a couple of times, and you've had a couple of wars. The problem is, neither match was on hard court. They faced off in twenty twenty two on clay in in Madrid. And that ended up going three sets in favor of Sinner, as he won 6 7, 7 6, 6 3. And then you had a matchup on clay, on a grass, I mean, in Eastbourne in the same year, 2022. And Paul won that one 6 3, 3 6, 6 3. So you have seen a couple of marathon matches. Both guys did have long matches on Friday, as you ended up seeing Sinner go to three sets against Monfee, and you saw Paul go to three sets against Alcaraz. I do think, once again, Sinner should be a favorite. 264, though, that does sound pretty steep. I think Paul's pretty live to win this one. I think Sinner's going to get it done if I had to pick, but I do like the over once again, and I think that plus 150 for three sets is a pretty insane line when both matches and head-to-head have gone to three sets, and I am aware once again it was on clay and grass, but we've seen both players look sharp so far on this hard court. Paul's looked sharper recently, but I do think when you're looking at how this is going to unfold, I think that Paul is a pretty similar player stylistically to what Monfied did on Friday night against Sinner. He lost the match, but he had moments because he kept the ball in play and Sinner did hit a lot of unforced errors. I think Paul can do the same thing where Paul can make it interesting. I think he will fall short. But I do think that this match has a decent chance to go three. And plus one fifty is pretty appealing. I think Paul to win a set of plus one and a half uh is definitely worth something at minus one thirty-five. And Paul Moneyline at plus two nineteen. I get it. I think he's gonna lose, but I do think once again he can keep it close. Plus three and a half games, though, at minus one twelve, I am, I am tempted by. I think Paul can lose in a three set war. Maybe even a set of breakers, but I do think based on the betting odds, I think that two and a half sets at plus 150 is quite appealing. But that's going to wrap it up for the two matches here. Once again, for the actual picks on who's going to win on the money line, I am going to lean to chalk, but I really don't see much value based on the current lines. In fact, there might be some value on the underdogs in these matches, but I do think that the favorites will win a couple of very long and very entertaining semifinal matches. That's going to wrap it up for the previews for the two semifinal matches in Toronto. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks, but forward to that, i going to have a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by the Sportscam Podcast Patreon. Sportscam Podcast Patreon is the perfect place for the diehard DGEN. Sign up for the Patreon, exclusive access to contests, including the NFL Win Totals contest with a $1,000 First place prize, plus a monthly SGP Stories podcast, an ad free, uncensored show highlighting the best stories from decades of being degenerate gamblers. There is even a Discord channel just for patrons. The Sportscam Podcast has and always will give out all their picks for free. The Patreon is a great way to support the network and fight back against corporate gambling. com slash Patreon, com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Parlay Play. Parlay Play is a great way to get down on your favorite parlayed player props. Football season is right around the corner, and Parlay Play will have all your favorite props. Parlay Play is available in a ton of states, including California and Texas. Plus, our good friends up north, Parlay Play is available in all provinces of Canada. And when you sign up with our code, you'll get a sweet bonus to get started. Head over to parlayplay.io and use promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's parlayplay.io, promo code SGP. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the two semifinal matchups on the men's side in Toronto. The second place on Saturday. Now it's time for the lock and dog pick. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to the early match between Dimenauer and Fakina, and I'm going to go with the over 21 half games at minus 135. Simply put, they've had three very long matches in their careers against each other. The hardcore one was a weird format, but they still split the first two sets. Fikina won on clay, 6-4, 7-6, and they had a war in London last year at Queen's Club, which Fakina won in three. So yes, I am aware of three matches, three different surfaces, but the point is these guys play each other tough. And I do think you might see a pretty similar script to the Medvedev match that we saw yesterday, where Dimanao is able to potentially win a very close battle. But I think you're going to see a couple of long sets. Dimanao has been involved in some long sets. And I think that once again, Dimanao has found himself in trouble in the first sets recently does find a way out of it. And I think that you're going to end up seeing both players probably split the first two sets, maybe get a breaker, and then you have a 6-3 or 6-4 win in there. But I do think, once again, with the head-to-head history and with the current form of both players playing very well, I like the over 21.5. That line feels too low, so give that to me as my lock. And for my dog, I am going to go to the late match between Sinner and Paul. And for this one, I am going to go with the over 2.5 sets at plus 150. Simply put, 150. I just think it's too high of a number, especially with how good uh, Paul has been in these last couple of matches against good competition. To look at his actual opponents, he ended up beating Sarandolo, who's had a good year so far, beat Alcaraz, who's number one in the world. So he's been solid in this event. But the main reason why I do like the over is because of how often Paul's gone to a decider. He's gone to a third set in four of his last five matches, three times here, and the losing match in Los Cabos, but he went to three against Alcaraz, won in straight sets against Girone, so that was the one uh, safe win that he had, had a three-setter against Rundelow and had a three-setter against Schwartzman. So once again, he's been involved in a lot of marathon matches, and having him do one more at plus 150 is a good deal. Plus, you're looking at Sinner, who had a war against Monfee, and Paul and Monfee have kind of similar styles. They love to keep the ball in play, try to force guys to hit unforced errors. Decent serve, not great, and I do think, once again, Paul should be able to hang around like Munfee did on a Friday night, but getting plus one fifty, I think it's a great deal. So I'm going to take it. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show: the lock's going to be on hour and Fakina over twenty one half games at minus one thirty five, and the dog will be Center and Paul over two and a half sets at plus one fifty. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Find me on Twitter, ratio Show Radio. Find me on the NBA Show, the MLB Show, the WNBA Show, a bunch of other podcasts on the network, but. Either way, until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.